You're listening to the Digital Barbell Podcast. Our mission is to provide you with a clear path to health and fitness through education, coaching, and accountability. We are your hosts, Jonathan and Blakely Fletcher, and we are here to serve you. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to this podcast and leave us a five-star review so that we can reach more people. You can find us daily on Instagram and Facebook at Digital Barbell. Now, let's get to today's topic. All right, we are back. Not only back with another episode of the podcast, but we are back in Boise, Idaho. We made the journey. I made Blakely drive the entire last day of the journey from Moab, Utah, back to Boise. Like I didn't mind it because it, it, there was like the there's a stretch from Moab to Salt Lake City, which is like just under four hours. It's probably the most the most beautiful drive. Literally for like an hour and a half, and my mind—I kept on. I was like, my mind is blown right now. I can't believe what I'm looking at. It was—we started out when it was dark, and then the the moon was—I think it was a full moon, if yeah. not full, just just right full. at it. And yeah, it was, just it, just it with the mountains, and then as it started to get light, I mean, I, I was just like, I couldn't, I, was, believe, I couldn't believe my eyes for like an hour and a half. Yeah, I was actually trying to work. I was like looking at my iPad or my, my computer. She's like, just put that down. You have to look at this. It's the most amazing thing you've ever seen. This went on for like an hour. But uh, I mean, we never intended for you to drive that whole day. It just kind of worked out like that. Yeah. We only stopped to pee one time that whole day. Put that was amazing. Post Malone and just go. Yeah. <laughs> um, we saw a lot of things on that trip. I think we both agree that Utah was the most impressive as far as spectacular and and New Mexico kind of left the most to be desired yes but I mean on our we took a little bit different route on the way back and we actually stopped at that four four corners where I guess where Utah Colorado New Mexico and Arizona Mm -hmm. come together and you can like stand where four states are at the same time so we drove about 30 minutes out of the way out there and it was closed I yeah. guess it's on an Indian reservation. Maybe they charged to go out there or something, or maybe they, I don't know what the deal was, but it was closed. <laughs> so that was a little anticlimactic. And we also had some some more interesting Airbnb experiences <laughs> on this trip. Um, we actually stayed in some really nice ones in in Texas. Those were ten out of ten. Would recommend. Oh yeah, we we stayed in one with my family. That was really nice. Yeah. And then um, we stayed in one in Amarillo. <laughs> oh, on the way back? Yeah. Yeah. It was literally a room. It was probably 300 square feet. Yeah. The whole thing. The kitchen, the bathroom, <laughs> and the bedroom. And um, I think the funniest part about that, it was fine. It was just like a place to sleep. We, we did have a little kitchen area. I think Buns and Lacey looked like, at us that like... That was the funniest thing to me. Is like they had been riding in the car. That was like a 10 or 12 hour day or something. And you, they like to run around and get, you know, hyper. Yeah, burn off some of the energy. There was no grass area at all, like, for them to run around, of course, and then, like... There was no room there. inside the place to <laughs> run around, too. I was just like, I felt so bad. They just laid down. They, they, looked, like, they looked up at us, and they are like, like <laughs> what, are we do, what are we doing here? Is this where we're staying tonight? Yeah, you could barely, like, walk around in there. Like, it was just the bed, and then there was just, like, the walls, and then 
Yeah. It was like single file going through <laughs> there, and I felt so bad. They just laid in a corner. Like, you did. Right. You did have a good view of the toilet from the bed, which <laughs> I don't know if they used that as a selling feature or if they advertised that in the listing. But I mean, you could just carry on a conversation right. with somebody from the toilet if you wanted to, <laughs> laying in bed. Um, yeah, but it was a good trip. We're very thankful that we went. It's eighteen hundred miles each direction, so we're very thankful that we made it back and forth safely. We pulled into our in our into our house here in, in Boise that had been sitting alone for three weeks and we were just blown away by the amount of leaves from our maple trees that were in the yard. I think like if it had gone a couple more days like somebody a neighbor would have called somebody. Maybe the police or we, the neighborhood association. Or, I was like I woke up this morning and like before it was light outside I was like I'm gonna go rake. Like I was just embarrassed. Like Yeah. I, I was like, Oh my gosh, we have to clean this up and and while we were doing it, three different people said, oh my gosh, you guys are doing such a great job, like giving yeah. us encouragement and like, what are you, what are you, like, I think that. <laughs> Boy, y'all really let the place go. <laughs> we you all have been talking. Oh gosh, I felt so bad. That was funny. Yeah, but luckily, I think that when we pulled up and we pulled back into the house and like, I was like, everything looks different and like, there was no, there's no leaves left. So yeah, there's, more no, more, there's no more leaves to fall. So yeah. this is the last of it. Yeah. So um, we got a pretty good sponsor for this episode. I'm sure you're dying to hear who it is. We're sponsored sponsored by Travel John. <laughs> is that you, Traveling John? <laughs> so our actually our friends that own this house that we're living in, um, they they found this thing because they were this was like right at the beginning of COVID, and they had to go up to West Virginia, and they were like, all right, we're gonna drive straight through, no stopping, like no spending the night. It was like 18 hours. It was super did, long. It, yeah. it might have been twenty. <laughs> it might have been three days. But <laughs> so they they uh, they bought these things called travel johns, which is like a take a with genius invention. A take with you toilet, which re- it's really just like a device that you put over the important things, and a bag that hangs off of it with some kind of gel that, <laughs> or some kind of chemical that turns into a gel when it gets wet. Exactly. So and they gave us one as a joke. I guess as a and joke. A repack. They give us a three pack. Yeah. Um, you know why I know. Yeah. Because <laughs> Blakely thought she was gonna use this thing the other day. Um, I'm just, I, we were actually in we're like Albuquerque, New Mexico. Like, well, okay. bathrooms abound. So and she you, just wants to pee in this thing. <laughs> New Mexico is a little weird because they, they're a little scary to drive through because they have signs everywhere that say like, you know, just. Like signs like about COVID. The risk for COVID has never been higher. Stay home. Yeah, and we all know this, but seeing signs <clears> along <throat> the roads and, and all this stuff is just a little scary. Like, I don't know. And most of the places, like we went to McDonald's and they're like, we're not letting customers use the bathrooms. The whole the whole state was a little weird like yeah. that. So I think I had gone into one place and they said, denied, you can't go to the bathroom right. here. So. Yeah, so you're like, I'm going to use the travel <laughs> I'm just going to use and I'm like, I'm trying to work through the logistics of this, like my planning yeah. mind. Like we're on a pretty busy road. Like, what are you going to do when you've got your pants around your ankles in the, in the passenger seat and an 18 wheeler drives by? And yeah, I mean, we don't need to Luckily get... we found a Starbucks and they were nice enough to let me use the restroom. Yeah. And we got a coffee and a donut too. So, oh man. So that's our sponsor for the week. Thanks Travel John. Hope we never have to use you. Can't wait. Yeah. Um, so this episode is a little bit different. I'm going to interview you. We're going to learn all things Blakely. Why not? 
you know, like we, you know, a big part of our business is social media, putting things out on social media, like things that we think are helpful for our clients and we share parts of our personal life and our story, but you know, we don't get too in depth. And I think a lot of people that just know us through social media and even our clients that don't know us personally, don't really know a lot of our stories that maybe make assumptions and we thought maybe it would be a good opportunity just to kind of talk about what makes us tick, what we've been through, who we are, and it's your turn. <laughs> so we're going to start all the way at the beginning. Okay, the year is 1970-something, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Blakely is born. Tell us about... 1970 something. You, you notice how I left the year out. Tell us about life and growing up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana in the 70s. Oh, goodness. From what you remember. Uh, yeah. I, I, um, I, I would live there until I was um, 12. So I, mean, I would live there a long time. Um, my parents like met in high school and they were like high school sweethearts and stuff. Um, I think they were like in their mid-20s when I was born. And um, I know when, we, when I was first born, we lived in like, like 30 minutes outside of Baton Rouge in a, like a country town and we had like a, a pond and um, some ducks and stuff. There's a funny story about a duck that swam backwards because someone had kept it in like one of those metal tins and they ended up giving it to my parents and it, did, it only knew how to swim forward and then backwards. It didn't like, you know, do like the other ducks because it had just gone in this little tin. And so I just know stories. It would just this. go like back the and duck forth. would like go all the way across the pond forward and then all the way across the pond backwards. Because that's all you had to do. That sounds made up. It's not. Um, you have an interesting name, Blakely. You don't, <laughs> you don't meet a lot of Blakeleys. It's more common now, and actually sometimes you even meet boys' name. Yeah. Blake I mean, or Blakely. Boy, people always thought I was a boy. Like, they just heard my name. Yeah. They, I think they associate with Blake. Um, it's a unique name, so that tells me maybe you had unique parents. <laughs> what were they like? Um, I, I heard they were hippies, and um, the first, my names were going to be either Cloud or Sky Blue, or the, the two, Cloud being number one, Sky Blue being number two, and my grandparent, my grandmother talked them into not going that direction. So Cloud was number one. Cloud was number one. Sky Blue was number two, yeah. and Blakely was number three? Or uh, wasn't even on the board? Blakely wasn't even on the list. It was like, it's going to be Cloud or Sky Blue. And then my, my grandmother was like, uh... <laughs> so where did the name Blakely come from? Um, so my on my father's side, my grandmother was actually not supposed to be able to have children, and there was a Dr. Blakely involved. Blakely was his last name, and you know, she had one child, my dad. So basically, Dr. Blakely made it so that you're, or helped your I mean, grandmother yeah, I don't know all the details how, how he was involved, but that was the story. It wasn't the father? It's like <laughs> a Maury Poet situation? No. <laughs> Is he the father? She had a heart, like a heart condition. And yeah. He was a heart doctor, and she was, you know, it was going to be too dangerous for her to have a child with her heart condition. Okay. And that's where that's where he was involved. So, what would your life be like if you had, in fact, been named Cloud <laughs> instead? I bet high school would have been some trouble growing up with a name Cloud. Yeah. Probably would have smoked a lot of weed with <laughs> a name like Cloud, or been in a band, or yeah, or something. It could have been fun. So, um, parents that 
could potentially name their daughter Cloud or Sky Blue. They sound kind of like hippies. Yeah, for sure. Is that the case? Yeah, definitely. Um, I know your I know your mom. She's not a hippie now. <laughs> <laughs> tell me about tell me about your mom and dad and and what you know about your childhood. Um. Well, my dad was killed when I was just just had just turned three. So I, I mean, unfortunately, I don't have like any actual memories of him. I hate that. But um, just, you know, I have tons of pictures and memories from, I mean, like stories that his, his parents and my mom have told me, but I don't have like any actual of my own memories of him. Mm-hmm. I imagine that's a little um, confusing to like try to find the line in between what's a memory and what's based on a picture and somebody telling you something. It, yeah, it is for sure. Yeah. I, I, I truly think like most, they're not memories, they're just stories from pictures. Yeah. And I guess too, that's just too young to have memories. Yeah. Too. And what do you, what do you know about your dad and, um, I mean, we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but like, what do you know about your dad at the time that he was killed and that whole situation surrounding that? Um, I know that he was um, he was going to try to be a like landscape architect, and so he was like work trying to get a business started, um, and then he was working as a taxi driver in in the evenings to make some extra money, and um, some kids robbed, tried, uh, shot him, to rob him. Mm-hmm. And he died. And um, you were three at the time. Yeah, I just turned three. So obviously that was um, a super traumatic experience yeah. for your mom. Yeah. Do you know how she handled it at the time, or or what that did to her? Um, I mean, I just I just think she's incredibly strong. Um, to be you know I can't, I can't imagine to have a you know three year old child and have have your husband killed. Um, I know that we moved out of that country house. We we went to Mississippi where his parents lived, my dad's parents, and they had a big property up there. And, and you know, I think she tried to live up there for a little while. They had a basement um, that we lived in, and then she just couldn't take living up there. It's really small town. And then we came back and lived in Baton Rouge, in the city, mm-hmm. the big city. <laughs> the big city of Baton Rouge. Um. About how old were you at that time when you moved back to Baton Rouge? I actually don't know for sure. I don't think we lived up there very long, so probably like four. Oh, okay. So definitely no memories of that no, time either? No, not at all. Just being told that happened. Yeah. So did it ever register with you as a kid, like what had actually happened or how big of a deal it was? Or like how did the whole family deal with that and, and you know how did that affect you as you grew up and got older? I actually didn't know exactly what happened to him. I think I was just like too afraid to ask. Like I knew he had died and um, I knew what people kind of said, but I never knew like the details of it until I was like probably like eight. My my best friend told me, like I like asked her, you know, do you know how, like, I don't know how this happened, but I, I she told me she had found out from her mom. So that was kind of weird. But um, yeah, I mean, I think like my, my, grandparents and my great-grandparents on that side and mom just like poured their love into me and I, you know I think that I like I didn't I didn't like I didn't I didn't like go without anything or whatever mm-hmm. because of it I think I had like everybody surrounded you with love exactly yeah yeah um 
what about as you got older? Like, how did your, as you, I'm sure as you got older, you learned more details around the situation and just kind of the reality of how big of a deal it actually was. Like, I can think that after going through something really traumatic like that, that a lot of people would have a lot of anger surrounding that and maybe rebel or really use it as a reason to like change the complete direction of their life. Did you ever have any thoughts around that? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, I, I think I learned from like watching the examples of my mom and my dad's family. My dad's mom, um, well, my mom, my dad's mom passed away when I was eight. Then my dad, my mom's dad, and my mom's great grand, my, my great grandmother. Like, they were just, they never, they never acted like, you know, some, they were, you know, of course, very sad about what happened, and, but they were never, like, they never acted out of, like, anger or, like, they just surrounded me with love, and they just showed me love, and I think I learned, like, that that we didn't need to be, like, angry and bitter for the rest of our lives about this, this horrible thing that did happen, but we didn't, like, need to act like that, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can, like, you're talking about your dad's dad, your grandpa, who um, I was lucky enough to get close to also as he got older. Um, And I never saw him as, like, a bitter person that had any anger towards, you know, I'm sure he had, I can't say I'm sure, but, you know, you have probably feelings around the people who actually were responsible for your dad's death, but it never turned him into a, a negative person right. at all. Right. And I think that you took that same route also. Whereas like I think a lot of people kinda would, would take that traumatic experience and just assume the victim role maybe for the rest of their life and let it steer the the direction of their life. Yeah, and I truly think it was their role model, you know, them being role models for me that they they didn't go with a victim mentality for their life that I think like led me to not do that myself. Yeah. So as you got older and um, kind of approached the age that your dad was when he died, how did, how did that time frame kind of affect you? I mean, I, I, I remember just being very aware of it. Like he was only, um, he was in his very early thirties when he, when he was killed. And so, I just remember being very aware of like that I was like approaching the age that he was and then when I became the age he was and then when I passed it and you know I think it made me feel like I had a responsibility for him to like do the best I could with my life because you know he was shorted his you know and it's like it was you know one of those situations he's not like isn't he like he did something to to like take his own life like he was I felt like his life was taken from him by other people so I always felt this like I have to do something with my life like I have to be the best person I can be to others and I have to you know do as much as I can with my life because he wasn't given that chance Mm -hmm. so I just remember being very aware of like me when I became older than he ever got to be so what does that look like to feel that pressure to to live your best life like what does that mean to try to live you know live the life that he wasn't able to live in real terms like what does that mean 
I mean, I think I've just like what I said, just just trying to like always, you know, try to be positive in the, in most situations to, you know, treat people well in you know situations and to and to like not just like get set not just like get sedentary in my life, but like try to like do as much as I can with it. Like I don't I don't think I'm like the most like adventurous person in the world. I'm not gonna be like let's go like hike for three days with backpacks. Like I don't like that kind of stuff. <laughs> I'm not mm-hmm. talking about I'm just I'm just talking about like more I guess more like achievements. To do good. To like, do good things for I, others. Um like on his um like I said most of my headstone. memories are, of him are like, you know, what people have told me but um on his headstone is was became like the um the values and the mission statement for my gym. And it was just like that what's the what's the phrase I'm looking for? The, the writing on Yeah, what is the term for that? No, like what is what does it say? To I mean it says that he touched the lives of many and they were oh, better yeah, for it. Yeah, yeah. He touched the lives of many and they were better for it. And I just I always thought like I can, you know, that makes me like envision the person that he was. Yeah. And I feel like I guess like that's kind of what I've taken on as my like personal mission statement is to like touch the lives of many and for them to be better for it. Yeah. Instead of choosing bitterness and the victim mentality to drive the direction of your life moving forward. Yeah. And I think that's had a big influence on your tolerance for people who do assume the role of the victim. Not that like there isn't a time for grieving and and just processing through any kind of trauma that you go through. But at the end of the day, it really is your choice whether you continue to let that define you and, you know, let you be a positive influence on people for the rest of your life or not. Right. You have a low threshold. I, I have like, I have like a, zero, a zero threshold for it. When it's, when it's, like you said, when there's, there's obviously like a time when people are grieving for, for whatever reasons. But it's like the, this happened to me, you know, and something happened to me in the past, and like forevermore, I will be that person who just is like, oh, this figures. Like, yeah, people t- people happen. take it to the extreme. Yeah. Like, oh, of course, there's no parking spaces at the grocery store, you know. Yeah. Because because uh, this always happens to me. And then it just that just leads to a, you know, you know, just kind of like a negative cloud around you, whether whatever you're doing and the people that are around you. It kind of it kind of puts people in a place where everything is just happening to them, and they they have no control right. over what actually happens in their life. Yeah, they have no choices left. Right. On their own, it's just like all these things are happening to me, and I can't do anything about it. And, and I it think becomes that, an excuse to not try. Thing. Yeah, that's the specific thing that I really just like almost can't tolerate. And when, I, when I'm around someone like that, I have to like walk away. Yeah. Well, I know one absolutely positive thing that came out of the whole situation was your relationship with your dad's dad. Yes, my my grandfather. Um, he, you know, he's the one who lived in Mississippi, and um, you know, we, I, I, I became like a, I became like the caretaker for him as he as he started to age, and um, you know, I I feel like at that time I was like, that's when time when I really wished like I had like when I was really like that no I wish my dad was here because like I wish not like I wish I didn't have to do this but I wish like we could do this together we could talk about like decisions you know I had to decide like to put my grandfather in a 
uh, a memory care because he was like having dementia and like just those type of like really hard decisions like I had to kind of step in and like decide when he was going to move out of his house and you know like yeah. what you know what like how much money did he have could, you know could he afford it just all those things like when he took his pills like everything <laughs> in between you know so yeah. just stuff like that was really hard and I think like to, to, to do and I always wish like you know I could have done that with somebody yeah that makes sense I'm sure that your dad would be proud for you taking care of his dad the way you did. Yeah. Getting me emotional thinking about <laughs> it. <laughs> okay. Um, let's move on to something else before I start crying too much. <laughs> I do. I miss art for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So this is something that um, probably nobody knows except me. So this is a Uh-oh. good thing to just put out on the internet for sure. <laughs> okay. Um, one thing that you say to me a lot, and you've said over the years, is that you're not a good test taker. <laughs> and I feel like you and I have kind of talked about this more recently and just kind of dug into it more because of the different things that have come up and stuff. But um, what do you mean by mm-hmm. when you say you're not a good test taker? And like now that you kind of understand the bigger picture, like what do you think is actually going on there? Yeah, I mean, I think I've always, I didn't know for the longest time, like, what was going on. I just, it was, I was like, I got through school and I got through college, but I was just never really good at it at all. Like, it was, it was really hard for me. You know, I didn't, I was not an A or even like a B student. I was just like, I, I made it through. A solid C. Yeah. <laughs> solid C. <laughs> um, That's average. C is average. I mean, average. Don't, you don't want to show out. Super average, right? Um, you know, it, it, I just don't think I ever, like, really thought through it like what's going on with me like I, I tried I for sure tried and I just never did good on tests and like I didn't do good on SATs and you know and like I wanted to think like oh I I was going to go to all these colleges but I decided to stay home and go to college but really it was just like I you know couldn't get into a lot of colleges because I just didn't do that good in school and like you know even even more recently trying to like you know for CrossFit you have to like keep your education up every five years and like the, the like level I don't, I've done level one I've done level two I've done all the seminars in person and there's like a level three that's a test and it's a four hour horrible computerized lock go, you, go lock to you a in testing a center and, yeah a testing center like pat you down fingerprint you and you can't have, take you, all your clothes off you can't even have a cup of water in there yeah like, no, no phone no water no gum I'm just like oh, I did something blindfolded <laughs> <laughs> those type of situations just not not good at and it can't I mean, I know the information is just like can't, it's really hard for me to get through this type of test. And so I think I've just started thinking about it even more because I'm like, okay, this is still happening. What's going on? And I think it's just like some something, I don't, I don't even know what to call it. Like if it's like dyslexia or something going on in my brain or it's like I, I have trouble, you know, in those situations or reading out loud and mm-hmm. just the, all that stuff. Yeah, I think... Um... I didn't know this at the time. I just thought you were nervous, but even when we first got married, we were in a Bible study with the church that we were members of back then. And um, it was like, we would have these home, we had like a home group. I think we even facilitated it at our house, yeah, right? Yeah, we did. And so like maybe four other couples would come over and either at the beginning or the end or whatever, like we'd go around the circle and everybody would pray out loud. And yeah. I think you somehow managed over like eight years to never <laughs> pray out loud. Pass. I think I'm just like, 
elbow you. I lost my voice. <laughs> and you would start. I always like sit on the right side of you where you go next. And yeah. But it wasn't just that you were nervous, right? It was something to do with this same kind of disconnect. Right. It's like composing thoughts on the spot and in a public situation, like an under pressure situation. Yeah. Worst nightmare. Pretty much what you're doing right now <laughs> right in this now. podcast. But that tells me that you've gotten better at it yeah, in, in this. So somebody who potentially has this know, disability is the right word, but challenges around, you know, forming thoughts in front of other people or reading out loud. Why did you decide to open up a gym and be the only coach where your only job was to be in front of people talking? Yeah, that's pretty crazy. My mom still was like, I can't believe you did that because I was like so extremely shy when I was a child that she still can't believe that I ran a gym and coached people. But, um, you know, that was that was more of like a, well, first of all, it just like kind of came to be like, I, you know, like little by little. But yeah. then... Um, you know, that was more of just like a natural, it felt like a natural environment for me. Like I wasn't reading the script and I knew what, I knew what I was doing in front of them. Like I knew what I wanted to tell them. I knew if they were moving right or if they were moving wrong. And I think I just like had confidence in what I wanted to say to them. And, and um, I think I, I became better at it than I thought I would ever be too. Yeah, I think honestly. anybody who took one of your classes would never have known that you were nervous <laughs> or, you know, you, I mean, you definitely got better in the years that you did it too. Yeah. So, and even like in this business that we have now, a lot of it is, you know, a lot of it's just providing information and you're coaching all these people online where you're typing out mm -hmm. your thoughts and stuff like that. But a lot of it also is being in front of a camera. Yeah. And that was a challenge when we first started. It really was. Um, you know, you, you, you did most of it when I ran the gym and then it was really hard for me to transition into like, being on the camera, whether it was like you're insta doing Instagram stories or whatever you were doing, I was like, no, 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 I want no part of that. But then I think it switched when we started to like do them as like a training video. Like I would be, you know, doing like a training with you to teach the deadlift, say, and I would run you through the steps. And then it, you know, it, it felt like I was back in my element, back in the gym. I was like, okay, this is, this is how I can kind of work myself into like doing stuff on camera is because I'm already comfortable teaching the deadlift. I'm already comfortable, you know, talking through the steps. Like I can, if I don't just ignore that the camera's there and I can, you know, do this in front of you. Right. And so I think that that's kind of like how it started to be easier for me. Mm -hmm. So like going on like an Instagram live and doing question and answer from people just <laughs> shooting them in. <laughs> no way. <laughs> that's terrifying for terrifying. you? Terrifying. That sounds like fun to me. Oh yeah, I bet it does. That's why we I'll make read a good the team. <laughs> well, I'm I'm proud of you for you know pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone and thank you. And I see that you have gotten a lot better with it over mm -hmm. time. <laughs> one one other funny thing is, uh, and, and I guess it's connected to the same issue is that like sometimes you have trouble proofreading. Oh yeah, yeah, proofreading for sure. If you've done any of my programming, <laughs> I have some clients that are kind enough to point out the mistakes which I am very appreciative of because like I just don't see them I'm like I'll read it I proofread like three times before I hit you know save and then someone's like oh this is yeah. misspelled or this the two you know these letters are reversed like, ah it's yeah. actually a joke with us because like you do all the video production for us and you put the text <laughs> over the slides and yes. like if you're ever posting something in the morning he's like I have to read it first. let me proofread that first. <laughs> like, no I got it right this time and you're like you spelt squat wrong. Like, oh. 
It's all right. We all have things like that. <laughs> um, okay, let's change gears again. I guess, I guess this would be gear number three. We're going to rewind all the way back to when we were dating. Uh -oh. So one of the things we did a lot when we were dating, we both we worked at Foot Locker. We wouldn't get off until 9 o'clock at night. We had a nice gang of 20-something-year-old friends, and we would all go out to eat a lot afterwards. <laughs> you remember doing that? I do. It was either Chili's or TGI Fridays. Or Bennigan's. Maybe Bennigan's. Sometimes. I, I it was like kind of further away to go to Bennigan's. Yeah, there's like a yeah a strip center that had a TJF Fridays and a Chili's, and we would like choose between like which ones you know which one can we get into first. Yeah, sometimes we just go like, in our Foot Locker uniforms. Oh yeah, for sure. That was a big part of our life. That's it was. Going out to restaurants and eating out. Yeah. I guess we just we weren't making a lot of money back then. I was probably spending everything we made between the <laughs> buying shoes at Foot Locker and eating out. And then, huh? oh yeah, they paid us in cash out of the register. I paid everybody because I was yeah, a cashier. cashier. That was so fun. That was crazy. <laughs> I don't remember how I got that money into a bank. If I did, <laughs> I was never a good budgeter. Um, so then, so we ate out a ton at restaurants, mm -hmm. and then you and I were dating, and um, we kind of stopped eating out at restaurants so much. And we started getting more like to go. We'd pick like eat at the same places or some different places, but um, we would order it and pick it up and eat it at home. And that was kind of a big part of our life then was just eating at home. Yeah. Um, talk about kind of what was going on with you around that time. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know exactly like a pinpoint of when it happened, but I started to like kind of get like an anxiety about being in a restaurant. Like, I think, you know, there was an incident where maybe I didn't, like, feel great or something, and it, it did something to me where I, I would get super anxious, like, being in a restaurant, and so you were kind enough to just, like, pick up food with me and eat it at home, and so that's what we did for a while, you know, and then... Um, but it wasn't just feeling anxious. I would, like, feel, like, sick. I would feel sick to my stomach, and, yeah. you know, I didn't really, like... Yeah, I didn't know what was going on. I just knew I didn't feel good if we were eating in a restaurant. But like exact same food eating at home, I was like fine. So it wasn't like it wasn't like oh I was like having a gluten problem or a dairy problem or anything like that. It was just like a mental <laughs> it was a mental problem. Um, and I think I didn't start to realize that until we were like you know you were kind enough to like just bear with me and like eat at home all the time. Um, but we wanted we were your your family wanted to go out to eat and. I didn't order a thing. I had water in front of me, and I felt the same way. And I think that's when I kind of started to realize, like, this is not anything to do with food. It's, it's like something going on with me in my mind that is, walking into a restaurant will make me feel this way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing how powerful the mind is. It really is. So um, we did that for a long time. Yeah, we did. And then uh, we got married. Mm-hmm. And you got a job that was like 45 minutes away from the house yeah, where, you, where you like to eat. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, before we were married, I got that job. Right? Yeah, that's right. And yeah, that, that became a major issue. It was like we were living down really far south of Houston and this, this uh, Rice University is in Houston. And so it was like a 45-minute drive to Rice. And, you know, when I got, when I got the job, it was just like, you, know, you have to be here at eight and you can't leave till five, you know. And so, 
you know, you get up early and I didn't eat breakfast before I went because I was afraid that I would not feel good, you know, in the car ride over there and I wouldn't eat the entire day, literally not one morsel. Then drive home at five, get home close to six and like just be starving and try to scarf anything I could. And I think I was like starving chips and I would just eat everything. And and I knew it wasn't healthy at all. <laughs> like I didn't know anything about nutrition at the time, but I just knew this cannot be healthy for me to like starve myself all day and then like scarf everything. In so like, you wouldn't like, a three you, hour period. You wouldn't eat anything from dinner. Dinner to dinner. On Tuesday night until dinner, dinner on Wednesday, Wednesday night. night. Yeah, I was I was too scared to. Um, actually, like they were they were kind enough at Rice. I had a really great boss there for like the whole almost eighteen years I worked there, but she. I, I talked to her about it because I was just like, I, I, I know I couldn't go on like that. And they let me actually work from home two days a week, which was like back in, this was a long time ago, back in the day before working from home was even a thing. <laughs> I was like the only person. In this the is home. before working from home was doing real good. <laughs> was, I was the only person in the office that would, was working from home. And actually, I wasn't even working from home. I was working from my family's house because I didn't have a computer. <laughs> and I was like, can I work from home? I won't problem. I don't have a computer. Yeah. I, so I remember I'd have to go over to my family's this house. This is way before smartphones. <laughs> and, um, and work from their house on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So you could eat. So I could eat like normal. Two days a week. Two, yeah. Exactly. Well, it's still not normal because now you're at your parents' house. <laughs> but I could eat there. Yeah. Yeah. So that was. That so was how long good. did that go on? Um, well, so we ended up moving. Like, I don't know how long that went on exactly, but I know we, we talked, we, we ended up moving into Houston into where we were only like about 10 minutes from Rice. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that's kind of when this all started to get better. Is like, I was like, you know, I think it was like the, the thing for me was like being that far away from home and feeling that. It was like something about it just was terrified me. And so that's why I wouldn't eat anything. But then, like, I think I started to like get back, back into, to maybe being able to eat a little something like a snack or something at work or and I could come home for lunch because we live so close. So maybe like you felt like if you ate something at work and started feeling sick, at least you could come home? Yeah, I could get home. And I remember you would come I was working from home at that point. You were nice enough to let me quit my job <laughs> and start a company. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was working from home and I remember you coming home I bring for my lunch. friends. Yeah, y'all watch Full House or... We would watch Funky Brewster reruns. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Why not? Why not? Um, You know, the weird thing about all this is is it truly was just like a mental thing going on. Like I said, just walking into a restaurant not feeling good is is all in your mind. And also, like, it's not like I was feeling bad on a regular basis. And it's not like... It was the fear of feeling bad. It was the fear of feeling bad. And like I said, it was like... like It wasn't like every time I eat, I felt bad. I was never feeling bad. It was just like there was something about the fear of feeling bad if I ate. I think that's just the way that anxiety works, honestly. Yeah. Um, it's not like, I know when I was struggling with panic attacks, like it wasn't, I mean, of course, a panic attack is terrible, but the number one thing that would make me feel like I was about to have a panic attack was the fear of having a panic attack. Right. You start to feel a little bit of something then the fear starts building up and you start to think that, oh man, this is going to happen. I'm so afraid if this is going to happen. And that just snowballs into the feeling of it happening. Yeah. So the mind is actually the thing that causes what you don't want to happen to happen. That's exactly. Oh. So um, you eat in restaurants now. <laughs> I do. We just got back from 
six days of driving where you were eating in a car, which is even more volatile than a restaurant, yeah. I'd say. So you overcome it, but it wasn't like an all, it didn't happen all at once. I remember yeah. a kind of a transition period. Yeah, I think, like I said, like, you know, being, being able to be close to my job allowed me to start to eat at work. And I think that led me to like, you know, friends would invite us out. And I, I, I feel like I remember like Chipotle being one of the first things I ate at a restaurant type thing like a friend we went with like a couple and the girl ordered like uh beans and rice only i was like huh i could probably eat beans and rice but like now now that i think about it i probably like beans and rice is probably the best thing to eat and feel amazing but it worked and i was was like okay and i just remember getting we would go to the place you were a cheap date back in those days too it was like i don't know if it's like a glitch in their system but they would charge like 52 cents just to get beans and rice so yeah mine was like 550 and yours was 50 cents we get up to get out of dinner for six dollars exactly <laughs> but, but yeah think, you're right i think you're right that played a big uh, for whatever reason that played a big role and it's just like anything like kind of stair stepping back into normalcy of eating out you know was was just like what it took like i didn't there was no like oh i'm gonna do this and do this and do this i think it was just like as things happened like okay i ate at work okay people invited us here i ate beans and rice okay you know maybe the next time we maybe we invited somewhere else and i would eat there yeah it just it just became better and better and i think like i was realizing like i'm okay yeah so like let's kind of look at all three of these things in the context of people who are struggling with things right now like we have so many clients and there's so many people out there just struggling with things it's a really tough time right now and they don't need to be struggling with these exact same things but you know what can we tell these people to just kind of reassure them that there's hope on the other side of all these different challenges um you know i think one thing would be that like you kind of are always in control of like your next of your of your destiny and your next step not even just like your far off destiny but like your next step mm-hmm. so like when when things are not going the right way just like doing the next thing to like start to turn things around is all you need to do you don't have to like be overwhelmed and look at the big picture and feel like i'll never get there it's just like taking that first step and yeah. then taking that second step and yep. just little by little by little you will get there and you know and then you know similar to like the having the victim mentality can be caused by anything and and just you know it's very similar realizing that like we are in control of like are the choices that we make every day it's not things are not done to us we have control over everything and like whatever cards you're dealt like take taking them for what they are and then like doing what you doing what you can with them yeah and it's not even that you have control over everything in your life but there are so many things in your life that you do have control over that you can make positive changes in and then letting go of the stupid other things in your life that you don't have control over can just release you from so much stress and anxiety too for sure you know it's just like one of those things like if you if you if you kind of see everything as negative, you you will see everything as negative. It's like if you if you are looking for a Toyota, a specific like Toyota 4Runner, in some certain color blue, and then like you you see that car, and then like then you all of a sudden you see them everywhere. You know, it's just like it's that kind of like 
thing that happens. Yeah, once you start looking for the negative in life. You'll see negative, but if you start looking for the positive, you'll see the positives everywhere. Yeah, but it has to be a conscious decision it really does. To look for the positive yeah. and to stay positive and to try to keep making the next best decision and realizing that whatever circumstance you're in right now, that it can change mm-hmm. if you take the steps towards change instead of just staying stuck exactly. and settling. All right. Anything else you want to say on the topic? I think we covered a lot. <laughs> I appreciate you kind of opening up on this one. I hope everybody got something out of it and kind of understands you a little bit better. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, thanks for listening in. We appreciate each and every one of you who will check you guys out on the next episode. Thank you all for listening. We truly appreciate it. But real quick, before we go, do us a personal favor and subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a five-star review and be sure and follow us on Instagram and Facebook for the latest and greatest content. If you're interested in working with Blakely and I, we have a few different ways we can help. We offer one-on-one nutrition coaching, 100% custom workout programs based on your goals, and we offer both a 12-week barbell strength building program called Built as well as a 12-week full-body fitness program that can be done at home. We call it Body. Get all the details and reach out to us through the website at digitalbarbell.com. Have a great day.